Welcome back to the Naked Security Podcast. I'm Kimberly Trung, and to my virtual right, I've got the hilarious Doug Ameth. Kim, I'd like to yield my time so I can say congratulations to my friend Paul about his new internet connection. Oh, and to my virtual left, Paul Ducklin, talk about your fast internet connection, Duck. Well, it's not fast by your standards, but it's fast by the standards of what I had before. Although, ironically, for the first time ever in this year, uh, the very day I got the 10 times faster uplink, uh, my Facebook Live connection crashed at the end. Um, But I think that was the app, not the link. So sometimes it's actually not the bandwidth that's a problem, but it has revolutionized my life. Oh, revolutionized. Well, Well, an improvement. Putting it a little, it's a big improvement. 12x better upload and uh, 7x better download so i am not complaining at all congratulations i'm gonna send you a giant jpeg <laughs> with some balloons congratulations on your internet guys the ono of the week you're gonna want to stick around for this one because all i can say is that i don't think anyone can top this story it's a good one this story is straight fire oh <laughs> When the IT call center is the emergency responder. Oh, don't give too much away, Doug. Don't give give too much away. Doug, what's happening in the news? I got headlines. We're going to talk about three articles today. Facebook copyright violation tries to get past two-factor authentication. Don't fall for it! Exclamation Mm. point. Phone scamming. Friends don't let friends get vished! Exclamation point. And finally, time for a mobile privacy reset? Question mark? So those are our three stories of the day. But first, fun fact, only two countries in this great world of ours are named after women. Only two. One of the Windward Islands, St. Lucia, was named after St. Lucie of Syracuse, who lived from uh, AD 283 to 304. And Ireland, named after the Celtic goddess of fertility, Era. Wow. So... That's a bit weird, although not. It, that doesn't mean all the other countries are named after blokes, does it? Because some of them have very <laughs> no, pedestrian. I... It have some countries have very pedestrian names, which I Iceland, rather like. Greenland. <laughs> well, no, I, I I don't know whether this is true. And if you're from Greenland, then don't take this amiss if I've got the wrong end of the stick. But my understanding is that was was it Eric the Red or Leif Erikson or somebody? It was like a marketing thing. They called oh, it Greenland yes. to attract settlers. Yes, That's what I, I knew heard. this. I was hoping hey, you were going to say it. It's a lovely green land. Yes. Bring green paint. America is named after a man, um, Amerigo, Amerigo Vespucci. Vespucci yeah. Yes. Canada is named after a man, Tim Canada. Is that right? Um, Are you joking? John's brother. Tim Horton, Canada. <laughs> John. <laughs> Doug, I hate you. Okay. <laughs> let's stop. Let's move on to our first story. We're talking about Facebook copyright violation. Do you look after any sort of social media content? Yes. If so, especially if it's business related, it is. You've probably received your fair share of copyright infringement complaints. I have. As you can imagine, this creates an opening for cyber criminals to frighten you into responding to, by sending out a fake takedown message. So we have a fake takedown message that looks on the face of it, uh, I was surprised by this, Paul, because 
the email looks dodgy, but it's basically, dear so-and-so, you are, there have been reports of copyright violations. You can appeal this case um, by clicking this link. If you don't appeal within 48 hours, the page will be unpublished. The email itself looks dodgy, but then when you click through, if you were to click this link, it actually looks, it's, it looks pretty uh, reasonably official. Yeah, I mean, the English isn't that bad, and unpublishing, I think, you know, that is a word these days. And if you've ever had to deal with scurrilous takedown notices, whether they're legit ones that come from a social media network or not, uh, you know, where somebody's complained because, oh, so you're using a song and that's my favourite band, and it turns out, of course, you paid the licensing fees, but now you, it's kind of worthwhile just showing that you did so and then in the hope that whatever social net media network it was will go back to the complainant and not they won't tell the complainant who they talk to. They'll just say your complaint is considered as having no merit and they dismiss it. But if you don't, then you know you could indeed get your page unpublished. And as you say, that the trick here that these crooks have used is when you click the link, you do go to Facebook.com. You actual Facebook. Uh, but of course, you're not going. You're going to a user-generated page on Facebook as a service, not mm. an official page about copyright complaints that belongs to Facebook, the company. Which I guess you know, when you're a big brand like Facebook, you have that problem: is that there's Facebook.com/slash somebody else's stuff, and Facebook.com/slash the official pages. And telling the two apart, it's not necessarily obvious. Not that I'm looking to get into cybercrime, but if I was, I think there's a big opportunity. You're losing a lot of people at the email stage, and I think there's an opportunity for someone like me that does a lot of copy editing, any any of the three of us, actually, that work with content a lot, that speaks proper English and knows how to f structure sentences and paragraphs, to go onto the dark web and go to the jobs section. I'm assuming there's a job section there, and just saying, hey, guys, my name's Doug. Um, I'm really good at English. Why don't you hire me? I don't want to hurt anybody i don't want to take anything right now but why don't you just pay me but i do want to get rich at somebody else's expense yes so yeah. pay me to uh i will write your emails for you and make sure that they're really legit looking not that i'm looking to get in cybercrime but i think there's a big opportunity here for yeah. someone with uh some you know copy editors linguistic chops to yeah really brush up these emails not that i'm looking to get into them the problem doug <laughs> sure. is that in many cases for semi-official or official stuff, it's even easier than that because all the crooks need to learn is control C, control V. Mm -hmm. And typically, you know, that's what we see, for example, oh, there's some problem with your, your, your last mobile phone payment didn't go through. They just copy and paste the email from a genuine mobile phone company that is to do with accounts. And, you know, we, we've discussed this with smishing, where you, you're phishing by SMS. The crooks love that because there are only 160 characters to play with. And so even legitimate companies use a special abbreviated stilted form of English, which the crooks can copy trivially. There's still a ton of these emails, though, that are just so bad. I, I, maybe yeah. I don't need to go onto the dark web into the job section. I could just reply and be like, listen, I know what you're trying to do. <laughs> Tell you what, <laughs> how would I brush up this email for you? Not that I'm looking to get into cybercrime. This one isn't perfect. The English isn't perfect. I think, you know, the three of us would improve it greatly by removing a couple of words. But it's not far off. 
And I think the crooks have learned that the less they say, the better it is. And this is, you know, notification of alleged copyright violation. That's perfectly grammatically correct. And then if you don't appeal in 48 hours, your page will be unpublished. That's grammatically correct. It ends at thanks, kind regards, though. That's where that's where you're losing people. Why are you saying thanks and kind regards? Just say thanks, or if you're sending this to Americans, just say, you better believe this, fool, or something, like something more blunt. <laughs> you like, better believe this, fool. Don't mess with Mark. That's how all Facebook emails close out. <laughs> I think that the, the big part of this trick, obviously, is the fact that the link, the text of the link just says continue, mm-hmm. and when you hover over it, to do your sort of due diligence, you see a link that is facebook.com slash a string of numbers. Yep. And it is a page on Facebook. Facebook have taken it down, by the way. Um, we reported it via their reporting mechanism, and of course they, they flushed the account. So What I find interesting about this is that it seems to pretend to do 2FA. Yes, it does. Now, obviously, we can't tell exactly what's happening in the back end, whether the crooks are immediately and actually trying the 2FA token. But the workflow, if that's the right word, that the crooks have chosen here is actually quite subtle because it doesn't... When you click out of the Facebook page, you actually you get to an obviously bogus domain. So you should spot, hey, I've suddenly left Facebook and I've gone somewhere weird. But if you're not thinking clearly or you go, oh, I'm, I'm on a Facebook page, maybe this is just another part of the Facebook empire, uh, it doesn't pop up a login page, which is what most phishing campaigns do. And I'm assuming that the crooks have guessed that most people log into Facebook once and they stay logged in for some time. So they wouldn't expect to have to log in again, they go, that's a bit weird because I logged in this morning. Why is it asking me to log in again? That's suspicious. So they just ask you to put in some identifying stuff. And then they ask for your password by saying something along the lines of, because this is a uh, you know an unusual or a special operation, we need you to re-enter your password. And actually, that's what a lot of legitimate sites do when you get into very important parts like, say, profile changes or changing a password. To stop, to make it a little bit harder to do that, like if you just grab someone's phone or you get on their laptop when they're not looking and they're logged into Facebook, you can't change their password because it makes you put in your password again. And the crooks are kind of borrowing that idea. So they actually say you have to re-enter your password. And after you've done that, it says, oh, and by the way, and they've borrowed that dialogue from Facebook that says, by the way, you've asked us to, for, to perform two-factor authentication. Now you need to enter the 2FA code that's in your Facebook app just like Facebook would. But of course, you're not on Facebook's site, so the crooks get the code. And then up comes a little loading, like a, a little sort of delay animation. And that lasts maybe 10 seconds or so. And we can only assume that the crooks are trying your credentials to make a new login from whatever server their site is hosted on to see if they can get in as you and do something quickly. So yeah, you're right, it, 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 it does... It simulates 2FA in a way that it, we've got a little video on the nakedsecurity.sovs.com article that shows how this works. I was unpleasantly surprised how believable it looked. But so the, on their end, they see your your credentials coming through. They see your username come in. They see your password come in. They spring to action. Then they're waiting for the 2FA code. Yes. So yeah. that's why 2FA isn't perfect. It's not a silver bullet. And, and you need to remember that. For example, even if you'd set up Facebook to to authenticate via SMS, then the crooks could say, just say, when the SMS arrives, put in the code. Because the trick is you think it's Facebook asking you for the code. 
and then you give the code to the crooks and then the crooks put in the code pretending to be you. Now, Facebook has some advice on how you can get alerts about logins from weird locations. So presumably the crooks would try, they'd have to try to log in from, they'd probably try and log in quickly from the server they're on. I think that server was hosted somewhere in the US but it'll be in a data center somewhere. So I imagine the IP number would be unlike anything you'd ever used before. So there's still a fighting chance that you'd be able to detect this or that Facebook wouldn't let them in at all. But it does mean that they do have your login name, your password, and a current valid 2FA code. So they've, you know, they're going to use that immediately. They can use it automatically. Uh, and that's what they're after here. We were looking to rent a ski house one year and we went on a rental site and we had had trouble finding places. And we found this beautiful $200 a night ski house right on the side of the mountain with a grand piano in the living room, which should have been my first tip that it, something was fishy <laughs> for $200 a night on the mountain. And it's the, the listing said, call this number to use your credit card. And this was about 10 o'clock at night. And so I, call, I called this number and a, ma a man answered in a gruff voice after about 10 rings. Uh, in a thick Eastern European accent. And I thought, I may have just woken someone up <laughs> who's trying to scam people on this site. And he was kind of disoriented. And I was like, I'm calling about the your your season, your season rental here. And he was like, oh, you know, he, he was like fumbling around. So I was like, okay, this is bogus. But he was like, basically, give me your credit card. <gasps> so I took the picture with the uh, grand piano in it, and I dropped it into Google Image Search because you can do a reverse search, but just by dragging the picture in, and it was a um, yeah. it was a ten thousand dollar a night suite uh, in Aspen. <laughs> so we had taken the pictures from there, and my wife and I were just so we reported it, and they took it down just like this. Wait, but how did you hang up the phone call with um, the man? I was like, well, you take the you take the handset and you place it down on the yeah. instrument, and there's a little switch in there, and it hangs up the call. <laughs> Yeah. Thank you. Or on a mobile duck. phone, there's a button. There's a button with a little picture of the hand. Mm. Isn't it weird mm -hmm. that we still have the icon shows the receiver going down? I said, I'm on to you. Believe it, fool. And then I hung up as Americans do. <laughs> I'm oh. sure he was very convinced. Oh, man. I was so it sounded like be... he wasn't the, they weren't the world's best scammers because obviously, if, you know, with a, with a more modern call center, you'd imagine it would be very glib. Oh, yes, sir. The splendid blah, 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 blah. Does sir realize that for $200 a night, it's only actually a baby grand? Uh, unfortunately, yeah. this thing was slightly incorrect. It said grand yeah. piano, and we've had complaints that it's not a full-size grand. It is what's yeah. called a baby grand, uh, as long as sir realizes that. I took pleasure in knowing that I had woken him up because I'm guessing they have people at, <laughs> at like noon our time calling, which is, you know, five or six-hour time difference, and they're manning the phones at night. But this, he was clearly dead asleep and maybe half drunk. And I was just like, I was like, oh this guy gosh. is fumbling around. I was like, there's no way this is legit. Now talk to this guy. Yes. So. Okay. So duck, what does one do if, if they think they've received this scam, uh, this email, what should a person do? The most obvious thing is that would have revealed this scam is that if you ignore the, the fact that the English wasn't perfect, maybe if English isn't your first language, it would probably look okay, uh, is check the email sender and you'll see it doesn't, it, it, in this case, it clearly doesn't come from Facebook. But the crooks could have done a better job of spoofing where it looked like it came from. The next thing is, obviously, you check the address bar all the way along. 
And I suspect that some people may have been seduced by the fact that the first link went to facebook.com. But the second one where it actually says, now put in your password and your 2FA code was quite clearly, it was uh, it was not a domain that had anything to do with Facebook. And that ought to have been obvious. It did have HTTPS because it, it was it was a, a, a one of these budget web hosting companies that provides, you know, a, a, a secure connection that doesn't secure the content, just a connection. And of course, don't assume that because you see a link to a well-known brand, that particularly if it's a social media site, that doesn't mean that the content you see there is vouched for or belongs to or is officially part of that brand. So this was facebook.com slash user-generated content, not facebook.com slash real deal content. And just remember that's the case with very, very many domains these days, that the domain name looks okay, but you need to think, am I going to a company's webpage or am I going to a hosting company's webpage where lots of people put up content? And that would have given this away for you. And the other, the other, the other thing that people can remember is if you get to a point in your browsing where you suddenly need to log in, and it's asking for a username, password, 2FA code, whatever it is. And you remember that you got to that login page with a link that came in in an email, bail out at that point, because you should know how to get to the login page for any site or account you use regularly directly, either using a bookmark or using your password manager to get you there. And if you never click links in emails, even if they're genuine ones sent by the genuine company, then you won't accidentally fall for these tricks from the crooks. If you want to see this story in detail, the great video and screenshots that Duck put together with the actual scam in it, head on over to nakedsecurity.sophos.com. In the meantime, we are heading into comment purgatory. Doug, what do we have? Oh, guys, I need a blocker allow on this one. I just don't know. I just don't know. These are, these are tough for me. Uh, we have an, on an old article about bypassing security on a security camera. A scammer promoting an online craft store who goes by the name of Online Craft Store, which is quite a name. <laughs> Very what, are the odds? what an amazing coincidence. Yeah. <laughs> These are my parents, Bob and Cindy's store. Oh, nice to meet you. <laughs> we really like Online Craft, Bob and Cindy. Online Craft Store says, I would like to apprentice while you amend your website. How could I subscribe for a blog website? The account helped me a acceptable deal. I have been tiny bit acquainted. Of this, your broadcast offered bright, clear idea. <laughs> like I get it. You get it. Do you? Well I done. I was gonna say, I'm like, I don't. Uh. Who, who among us who have run a website have not um, been asked to take on an apprentice while we amend our websites? <laughs> it seems like every time I scaffold up a WordPress site, I turn all the lights on, I open up shop. Here come the apprentices. Can I apprentice while you <laughs> amend this website? And I say. Well, I'm trying to broadcast uh, and offer a bright, clear idea, so maybe. It's such a sort of 1930s way of speaking, isn't it? It, it is, you know, yeah. I need to connect and I need to amend my website. What I don't um, get is you're asking to apprentice. How could I apprentice for you? May I apprentice for you? How could I subscribe for a blog website? Do you want to apprentice for me or do you want your own site? <laughs> Both. Like, I, I, I already know your, your time is divided now. They want to become the master. All I can say is, as machine-generated compliments go, that was a particularly tortured one. 
And I'm not sure, perhaps we're misreading it. And perhaps it was actually being sarcastic and saying, I don't think very much of your writing. The account helped me a acceptable deal. So it, it helped me a little bit. I had been a tiny bit acquainted. I was, I, I'm sort of familiar with your work. Of this, your broadcast, what you wrote, offered bright, clear idea, was pretty good. <laughs> I so. guess that is a nice compliment when you really yeah. think about it. I say allow. Mm. I'm going to say block. Block. Learn it yourself. Tiebreaker, Paul? Tiebreaker, Paul. Yeah, do it. I'm still not sure it's a compliment. <laughs> I still think it's a twisted way of... of Point poking us with a stick. Hey, maybe that that person is one of those babies that have been, you know, like five, ten years ago when it was hot, where brands would buy the name of your baby. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Maybe that's one of those. Maybe this is some poor ten-year-old who's like, "Help me! I need to learn something because I, my name's online craft store and I don't have any skills." You kind of have to open an online craft store if that's your name, right? <laughs> you're yeah, kind of doomed. You're kinda nominative determinism i think you'll find it's called i had to change my name from from jobless video gamer because it just wasn't paying the bills so i had to become (laughs) doug amit okay let's head into our next story now this one is about an old school scamming technique that still still works i think vishing which is short for voice phishing still going strong and the latest batch of automated vishing that's been reported to us claims to be related to taxes a theme that the crooks have been exploiting for years that duck has written about on several occasions but this particular vish was well-timed whether it was deliberate or not to a legitimate email from the tax office in the uk known as an hmrc her majesty's revenue and customs that notified taxpayers with a genuine message to remind them that there were just a hundred days left until the cutoff for the 2019, 2020 electronic tax filing. So this scam comes through, it's a synthetic voice and it says something along the lines of this is extremely time sensitive. This is officer Dennis gray from the HM revenue and customs. The hotline to my division is insert phone number i repeat it is insert phone number do not disregard this message and call us back if you do not call us back or we do not hear from your solicitor either then get ready to face the legal consequences goodbye and take care it wasn't you was it <laughs> that was very realistic yes you're I losing say? people at then get ready to face the legal consequences you have you have them until that <laughs> No one's going to be that. But the robot voice makes it so threatening. This is why I hate this. I get these kinds of calls all the time. Uh, Luckily, I have uh, on my iPhone, there's a feature where I can turn unknown callers off. I can silence them. So they go straight to voicemail. So I never pick up for these and they still call me. And I hate this. So uh, how do we... (laughs) How do we handle something like this? I have family members that will say, "Like, did you? I did you hear? I'm getting audited by this phone call. Like, oh, no. people are falling for it. Yeah, I'm like, you're not. But yeah, no, we 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 laughed, and actually, you know, it was quite funny the way you read it, Kimberly. It was surprisingly realistic, and it was also <laughs> the, the 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 voice. It was like a, a sort of um, it, it was sort of a female sounding robotic voice that the cooks had chosen, but the officer's mm-hmm. name was was you know a, but named a name Dennis? you'd most <laughs> most commonly associate with blokes, which didn't quite add up. This is Officer Online Craft Store. 
But, you know, okay, so we laugh and we kind of think, well, we're not going to fall for this. But I think that the, the vishing game these days has changed a lot from when just cooks phoned up and they hoped you'd answer and then they'd try and ply you. I mean, that still happens, right? These these fake tech support people that they'll call you up and they say, and they want to get you on the line and then they'll, they'll oh, but it's really bad. There's a virus on your computer, blah, 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 blah. I think that in this case, these crooks do not expect anyone to answer live. They're actually hoping to get through to voicemail. They may even have something that recognizes mm-hmm. that a voicemail prompt has appeared, like they wait for the right. beep or something. And somebody who's you know vulnerable, maybe lonely, perhaps elderly, a little bit worried about things, you know, maybe they did had some trouble with the tax man years ago and they think may have caught up with them or whatnot. You know, we may laugh, but I think it's our duty to be that point of contact for the vulnerable friends and family that we have. Because as Doug said, it there is something quite chilling about this. You yeah. hear the voicemail, you think, I don't recognise the number, but it, is, it isn't some weird number from a country I've never heard of. You dial back and there's an automated voice. And automated voices aren't so suspicious anymore, are they? Your delivery will arrive mm-hmm. at such and such a time. Correct. And there's this thing saying, call us back, have a nice day. And so you phone back and then it's like the crooks of, even if only one in a thousand people call back, the crooks have pre-selected the most likely victimizable people because it's the people who call back that are ones that are worried enough that the crooks can then play them at the end of the line using their social engineering tricks. I want to go back real quick to you talking about like targeting because uh, I, as I said, I get these calls all the time. And specifically, there's two things that I've noticed. One that they, funny enough, must have done some sort of research or analysis of last names and origins of last names because my last name is Vietnamese. I have my mother's last name. And I get these scams in Vietnamese. The other thing that also happens is that I have the same area code that I had from when I first bought my very first mobile phone when I was 18 years old, but I have not lived in that area code for 15 years. But I will get phone calls with that area code. And I know this is probably more U.S. specific, but uh, whenever I see an old my old area code pop up, I know that it's not for me. You're right, Kimberly. It's, it's amazing how targeted something can feel, even though it's only really very slightly targeted. As you say, there are many nationalities or ethnicities where your name, pretty it's a pretty good guess what language you speak they can seem to know an awful lot about you when in fact all they need to do is make a very tiny inference and i think that the problem is that a lot of people have been taught over the years you'll know that it's a scammer because they don't know anything about you so they have to say dear customer or dear sir stroke madam stroke other and they'll never know your name and therefore if the crooks do know your name Maybe your email address is firstname.lastname at company.com. Then they know your company and your name or they can guess it. And I think a lot of people, if the crooks know even even the tiniest bit about them, they kind of assume, well, the fact that they know something must mean they know everything. And the reason they know everything is they're legit. And even if they do know everything, maybe they got it from a data breach. Yeah. So, you know, now that they're they're getting smarter, they're... (laughs) targeting real 
real deep here. How do we, what do we do? We just hang up on these guys? <laughs> like, is there a way to protect ourselves? What does the average person do? I think the most obvious thing in this case is that you're probably aware of issues that you might have with the tax office in your country if you have them. And you may need to contact the tax office anyway. And you probably have previous correspondence from the tax office. So use that previous correspondence to find an official number to contact them and never ever rely on calling, emailing or texting back somebody based on information that came in the phone call, the email or the text. Also here in the US, they don't call or text. They only send mail. So it would have to be an official letter if they're asking about your yeah. taxes. Yeah. As someone who's been audited. Oh. Uh, yeah. So we don't have to talk about that. But it was my fault. I mean, Probably because of all of your enterprises, Doug. <laughs> it's weird, too. They send you this bill. Like, you know how much I owe. Just why don't I do a tax every year? Just tell me how much I owe and I'll pay it. So they sent this bill and they're like, you did this part wrong. You owe us $1,100 or whatever. And I went through months and months of like here's this and here's this and I'm sending all these things back and forth and they're like yeah you still owe it they just told me to pay it don't put me through that <laughs> but i guess doug in many countries including in the u.s for many parts of the public and private sector it's becoming harder and harder to do business by regular mail at all True. I see why people are, particularly if they feel they've been shoehorned into using online services or yeah. they've decided to embrace it because they kind of think, well, it is convenient. I don't have to go into the post office or into the bank or I don't have to visit the, the, the tax office office or whatever it is where you stand in a queue for three hours. Uh, you know, So maybe they're not quite used to how that works compared to showing up in person. Yeah, like I said, plenty of people are falling for these, so it's it's still working out. Obviously, they're still vished. Okay, uh, if you'd like to read that, it's called Phone Scamming, Friends Don't Let Friends Get Vished over on nakedsecurity.sophos.com. Let's talk about mobile privacy. If you've updated your iPhone or Android phone to the latest version, say iOS 14 and Android 11 respectively, you may have noticed that they come with enhanced privacy controls. These new versions allow you to more easily check and change the personal info and phone features that individual apps can access. So how about taking this opportunity to give your personal and work phones a mobile privacy health check? So we'll go through the top five things to check, courtesy of our good friend, Anthony Mary, who is a senior product management director here at Sophos. Doug, I think the important thing for anyone listening to note is that these tips, some of them have specific things that you can do even better if you happen to have Android 11 or iOS 14. But if you have an older iPhone, it can't run iOS 14. And Android is such a mixed up ecosystem that even if you have a late model phone, it may not even have got Android 11 yet. So these tips work anyway, because they're just, they're just general advice about how to think about what you're letting other people collect about you. Great. So we've got five things to check. The first one is location services. What's the big deal with leaving location on all the time? For a lot of people, they recognize that there is a value or even a necessity for some very useful apps to be able to find out where you are. So they're unwilling to take the option of saying, well, I'm going to turn location services off completely on my phone and I'll only turn it on in very desperate straits when I like know I'm completely lost and I've got no choice but to find out where I am. 
So they kind of turn it on because they think, well, a mapping app that guides me back to my hotel when I get lost, it's not much use if it doesn't have location access. So I'll just turn it on and then, hey, maybe it's not so bad if all the social networks know where I am because then my chums will know where I am and so on and so on. So they end up thinking that, well, I'll turn it on and then they just get used to having it on with all apps. But you can have a more finely grained set of permissions for location these days on both iOS and on Android, including for individual apps deciding whether you want them to have access always, which means they can even even track where you are when they're in the background, which you might want for a mapping app or for a, you know, a sports app where you want to know where you went running. You can have it so that they can never access your location and you can have them only when in use, which means that when the app is open and in the foreground and your phone's unlocked, then they can find out your location. It doesn't have to be an all or nothing choice. The all or nothing choice may be what you want to make. But you do have a lot more choices these days to to kind of set the dials in a way that actually gives you the benefits of apps that know your location without telling every single app you ever load onto your phone where you are all of the time and letting them collect it. I use an Android phone with Android 11, and I don't know if it was 11 or 10, but one of the one of the major version changes changes the um, when I would install a new app, there is there seems to no longer be uh, always allow for apps it's that's now defaulted to only while the app is in use or not at all which is i think is a probably a good step it is yes that i that's a good sign it sort of suggests that we are perhaps moving a little bit more towards an opt-in digital society than uh, uh, an opt-out one where you know you install an app and it takes everything it can get its hands on and then you have to go and dial it back we're not there yet but it's a good sign that it's no longer that the, all the doors are wide open from day one. Let's talk about tracking. This is not to be confused with location tracking, of course. Yes, that, by that we mean the ability of apps and browsers and things like that to track you between visits, between sites, between you know, with with advertising data that ties a visit you made here to a visit you made there. Or you know, as Anthony points out in the article. There are plenty of online marketing companies that will pay plenty of money to know, you know, when you use their app and you went and looked at such and such a product. What were you doing just before? What were you doing just after? Not where you were physically, but where were you online? Because that will give them a good indication of, you know, maybe where you are in it from a sort of mindshare point of view, whom you see as competitors and so forth. Um, so the good news is that iOS 14 has a make it harder for apps to track you from app to app or from visit to visit. Uh, it's called tracking, uh, that option, and it's, it's, a, it's a, a single toggle on or off. And although apps can still kind of track you online, the idea is that it, it supposedly makes it harder for apps to track you between one, say one visit to their site and the next or one use of the app and the ne- and the next or the use of two different apps from the same vendor. Uh, of course, if you don't have iOS 14, there is still something you can do about this. And my recommendation is for any app you use, particularly including any browsers you have installed, whether they're the built-in browsers, which I think is Chrome on Android and Safari on on iOS or some third-party browser, like I have a, my secondary browser on my iPhone is Microsoft Edge, and all of those, well, most decent apps do have a way of saying of going into the settings somewhere and saying, throw away what you've been collecting about me. So it kind of it's like clearing cookies on your desktop browser or even in your mobile browser. And unfortunately, the only way to find out 
what that method is, is to dig through each app settings and see what's there. And it's worth, in my opinion, putting in the 5, 10, 20 minutes that it, you need to do that for apps you use a lot because there are probably privacy-enhancing settings in there that you didn't realize that you could turn on and that you now suddenly think it would be a great idea to do so. Okay, great. We can probably lump the next two together, camera and microphone access. Indeed. In fact, it's, it's interesting that I think the reason I'm assuming, I didn't write the article, but I'm assuming that the reason that Anthony separated them is that in older versions of Android, as you probably remember, camera and microphone were always lumped together. Well, for quite some time, they've been separate. And in the same way that we talked about with location settings on iOS and Android now, you get more granular control. I think a lot of people are misunderstand that with camera and microphone. For example, let's say you use Zoom a lot. I use Zoom a lot, but I usually use it from my phone. I might often be walking or whatever. I want the phone in my pocket. I very rarely use video. So I've actually told Zoom that it can't have access to my camera. Now, Zoom complains when I start up and said, do you know that, that I haven't got camera access? So if you want to do video, you'll have to go into settings. And I'm OK with that. I don't mind having a little bit of hassle on the rare occasions I do want to turn on video because it means that I can't accidentally forget and turn on video when I didn't intend to. So both camera and microphone, well, firstly, they're separate in, in Android now and have been for some time. And also for iOS and Android, you have much better granularity over when and how you allow apps to access your camera. All right. And then the last one's an interesting one, Bluetooth access. The trick here is to decide whether you need it or not. And if you don't need it and you aren't actively using it, obviously you've got Bluetooth headset or Bluetooth headphones like I do, then you need Bluetooth on. But again, you've got that granularity that lets you select which apps can use Bluetooth and when. But it is also an option just to go in and there's nothing wrong with saying, you know, unless I know I need it, I'm actually going to turn it off. It may be something that you just love having it on. You don't mind people knowing where you are. You don't mind responding to tracking beacons that are used in stores, for example, that emit, uh, emit Bluetooth packets that your phone picks up and says, hey, so-and-so is near X or Y or Z. If you're happy with that, turn it on. If you're not, you've got every right to say, I'm going to turn this off. I'm going to deny Bluetooth access to this app or that app or the other app. It just means that you're less likely to be connected to or to connect to somebody else without realizing it, without intending it. Great moral to that story, Duck, about the mobile privacy is that these are just things I think sometimes you you just trust apps, right? You download this app, you trust that it's got the right settings on by default. And I think this is a really good reminder to the average person uh, to just check in on that. Uh, I certainly am now more paranoid about checking my own privacy settings. And I, I personally, I, I don't miss them. If I turn them off, I don't really miss a lot of these features. So even if you trust the app completely, there's something appealing about saying, well, it doesn't need to know my location all the time. Right. For example, I have a, I have a it's an absolutely gorgeous app from the, from the, British Ordnance Survey, that's the mapping agency. They make oh. beautiful maps of the whole of the of Britain, of 
Great Britain. And they have the Ordnance Survey Compass. And it's just like a like an orienteering compass, but for your iPhone. And with your location, it will show you your UK grid reference with accurate to 10 meters. So if you've got the sheet map with you, always carry like a folding map because I love big maps. And you open it out and you can see exactly if you get lost or you're the wrong side of a wall or a fence or a freeway or something or railway line, you can find out exactly where you are on the map. It's a brilliant feature. Mm. But I don't need the compass to know my location when I'm at home right. because I kind of I, I I've I've finally managed to memorize where I live and I've looked it up on the map and I know where to find it so I just figure well I trust that app completely but it just doesn't need to know so I'm going to go and make the settings reflect that you know the app could have a bug it could go wrong why take that chance and it also means that you are revisiting which apps you've even got on your phone because I've been surprised to go back and think, oh, I'll just see which apps have got access to my camera. And then you go back and think, hang on, I don't even remember installing that app. Forget that it's got access to my camera. What on earth is it? I haven't used it for nine months. <laughs> yeah. When did I download this and why? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, it, it, when it comes to privacy, less is very definitely more. Great. Uh, if you liked that story and you want to see those tips in text, you can head on over to nakedsecurity.sophos.com. And oh boy, guys, it's that time of the episode where we have an oh no of the week. And like I said, this one's a doozy. Because it's such a doozy, I'm going to have Doug Ameth play the role of caller. Oh boy. Rigor Rigor 867 writes... <laughs> That sounds like banging on the keyboard, banging on the numeric <laughs> keypad. No, no, no. I randomly want it. No, to no, me. no. To me, sounds it's like a rigor, long rigor. haul truck, <laughs> a long haul trucker. Rigor, rigor, eight six seven. Right? Come on in. <laughs> Maybe he's a trucker. Look, rigor, rigor, eight six seven writes. During my first week on my first IT job, we received a tech call around midnight. Our office was open nine to five, and after hours calls went to voicemail. We'd get an email with a transcription of the message. The message read. Hi, IT guys. The kitchen is on fire. What do I do? Can you just, like, log in and fix that? It took a few moments for my brain to process whether this was a joke or a serious issue. Being inexperienced, I messaged my coworker and waited for his response. While waiting, I went ahead and called the client, got voicemail and heard nothing from my coworker. Fantastic. We had remote access to the security system at the client location, so I taught myself how to use the software and take a look. Again, this was my first week on the job, so I didn't know much about our software yet. Literally one second after I logged in, the client called me back. Yeah, IT guy, the grill in the kitchen is on fire. Can you, like, just turn on the sprinklers or something? What? No, I'm afraid I can't. Did you turn off the gas to the grill? Have you called 911? Um, no. Turn off the gas! Grab the fire extinguisher and put out the fire! There was a pause. I watched the security camera in the kitchen and saw flames shooting out like dragon's fire from the grill as the client stood dumbfounded. We don't have a fire extinguisher. Forehead meets desk. I am looking at the security camera. On the wall behind you is a fire extinguisher. Next to that is the red emergency cutoff lever for the gas. Turn off the gas and extinguish the fire. How do I do that? One on-the-fly firefighting lesson later, and they managed to extinguish the fire. As the dust settled, I asked, So why did you call IT for a kitchen fire instead of calling 911? 
Well, I tried calling the shift manager, but he didn't answer. So I called the GM, but they didn't answer. And I knew if I called IT, you guys had to answer. Can't really argue with that logic. Needless to say, I made sure the managers updated their kitchen safety procedures and trained their staff. And placed an order for some new ceiling tiles. The end. Wow. I think in the modern era, the response would be, We've decided to get rid of the grill because you lot don't know how to use it properly. You have to order in pizzas from now on. <laughs> I don't think this scenario is that far off. I think everything's going to become a service. And <laughs> one day you're going to call the fire department and be like, could you put out the fire in my house, please? Fire department would like access to your camera. Yes or no? <laughs> yes. Oh, I see the fire extinguisher. Oh, geez. I don't know anything about that. I guess in a way, it's sort of a backhanded compliment, isn't it? It's like, yeah. A... IT will answer the phone, and B, IT will know the answer to the question. It's quite the touche, this story. How do I put out a fire? I've never thought to look at the instructions on the fire extinguisher, which, to be fair, I bet you most people haven't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I think it's pretty ingenious that this person was like, I'm going to call IT because I know that they have to answer. (laughs) Can you? The initial request is the best, too. Can you just... Like turn on the sprinklers or something. Like maybe. (laughs) I I don't know. Like I, I would, I wouldn't. I would give the IT guy the access to the sprinklers. We are in an age, right, where everything's monitored. But yeah, it says it's a vote of confidence in IT, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. Several points of failure here, but IT was not (laughs) one of them. Yeah. Or maybe the person actually thought, well, you know how IT love to meddle that if I just complain long and hard enough, they'll come down and fix it themselves. <laughs> this is firefighting as a service. It's fast. <laughs> if you liked what you have been listening to, why don't you go ahead and give us a five-star review and Apple podcast. And of course, if you have an Ono of the week, send them on over to us. You can comment or... If you can top the fire, we... Absolutely, absolutely need to hear about it. 100% need to hear a story that tops this one because I'm just, I feel like I've set the bar really high with this one and I'm just not sure I'm going to be able to surpass it Mm -hmm. ever again. Hit us up. You can leave an anonymous comment on nakedsecurity.sophos.com on any of our articles or you can DM us at Naked Security on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And of course, you can email us tips at sophos.com. Again, that is tips at sophos.com. Until next time. Stay secure. Get ready to face the legal consequences.